Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Talk Tottenham. Antonio Conte and Spurs are back in the Champions League following a 5-0 victory over Norwich City on the final day of the Premier League season. Alistair Gold is joining us as ever. Ali, how are you? Not too shabby. Yeah, it's been a pretty decent week, hasn't it? Um, I know you're a happy man with what happened with your club, despite them absolutely uh, chucking it into their own net pretty much in the final game. But thankfully, that didn't matter. Um, and Tottenham got the job done without the help of anyone from the uh, Merseyside area. But uh, yeah, no, really, really good week and uh, an exciting summer to come, which we're going to talk about. Most definitely. I think it's been a really good past few weeks uh, for Tottenham, especially in May with all the results going their way. Obviously, a couple of weeks ago, it did look like Arsenal were in the driving seat for fourth, but then Spurs managed to get that victory in the North London derby. And then ever since then, they've uh, kicked on, obviously helped by Arsenal losing at Newcastle United uh, one week ago. But no, uh, Spurs, for me, thoroughly deserve to finish in fourth. They've improved so much under uh, Antonio Conte. And yeah, we've had two seasons away from the Champions League, so it's going to be nice to report on it. And it's going to be great the fans to go to the home games in the Champions League and then also travel there as well. So, no, really looking forward to next season now. So, we'll get on to the 5-0 win over Norwich. First things first, those who had any pre-match doubts, why? Why on earth? I said to you before the game, this will be you know, easy. Surely it's just for being cruise control. I said 4-0, so it was one goal off. I just can't understand why anyone would have any doubts going into it, given how well Spurs are playing and then how poorly Norwich have been playing. You speak like a man that hasn't known Tottenham Hotspur for many decades. <laughs> there is no Spurs fan who, hand on heart, 100% went into that match yesterday thinking, all right, lads, turn up and win, easy peasy. It just doesn't happen like that. Tottenham Hotspur don't... Well, Tottenham Hotspur shouldn't do that, but to be fair... That's exactly what they did. And it was really interesting because like um, Eric Dyer was doing pre-match interviews for the Sunday newspapers and he was asked specifically about the whole Spursy tag. And he got a little bit kind of, I suppose defensive is probably the best way to do, say it. Um, and, and understandably so. He was like, you know, we've done lots of really great things and over the recent years. You know, we've achieved big things. We've had big moments in games where we've been anything but Spursy, as this tag is. But then, you know, a couple of days later, we might get a match that a result that isn't great. And then suddenly Spursy comes back as a thing. You know, you can get, get to a Champions League final. You can have those massive moments at Manchester City, Ajax and all of that. And then maybe they can have a bad result at someone like Burnley and suddenly they're called Spursy. And it's a bit like, I can understand the frustration with it, especially when, you know, Spurs could rightly point at, let's say, Arsenal this season and say Arsenal were in the driving seat. But yet, Arsenal aren't... What's the, what's, what's the equivalent? Arsy? I don't know what the equivalent is. You know, they, They've lost that. But weirdly, I suppose, if you want to maybe overanalyze it, people looking at Arsenal are maybe more saying, oh, but it's a young team. It's a young team. They've overachieved, all this sort of stuff. Whereas Spurs have had a season where they've gone from, you know, they were in dire straits when Conte came in. And you just look at what he's in. John Veal put out a great um, stat yesterday. So since that night at Turf Moor, you know, when <laughs> when we watched Antonio Conte get very annoyed, you know, he properly kind of bared his teeth. He got angry, threatened to leave. Since that night, Spurs have won 10 of their remaining 14 matches in the Premier League. Sorry, what Spurs in? Because <laughs> that's, that, that that's incredible. That is an incredible end of the season. I know Conte kind of said... It would be a miracle. And we may be, you know, like, all right, bigging yourself up if you do it. But when you look at that kind of stat, 10, winning 10 of 14 is incredible. I didn't even, I must admit, I didn't realise it was that many. They'd won out of that. But that is, that's phenomenal. Um, you're not looking it up now on your phone just to check whether that's actually right or not. No, I was just checking the goal difference between Chelsea and Spurs because obviously there was three points in it at the end of the season. I mean, a few yeah. months ago, it looked like there'd be 10, 15 points in it, especially when you went back to those games in January when 
Chelsea yeah. beat Spurs comfortably in the cup and then in the Premier League and you know you've seen what 10 10 wins from 14 games yeah. didn't win at Liverpool well it was a good result a draw to be honest lost at home to Brighton drew at Brentford Man U Man U the lost you know if you win that Brighton game and the Brentford one Spurs are in third what is it? it's what is it? remarkable yeah, well, Conte said about this important gap to Chelsea and how you couldn't compare the two teams and they finished three points behind them. It is mad. And that's, as we'll talk about later, they did that with so little kind of... Essentially, it was Conte's work and two January signings and that changed everything. So this is why I'm kind of... Well, it's Tottenham, so I can never be 100% excited, but I am as much as I can possibly be excited about what's to come. Because if he can do that in seven months with what he had, just thinking what he could do with what he wants, you know, it's just oof, exciting stuff. A brilliant way to finish the season. I know we just said, obviously, there's three points between Spurs and Chelsea. Could have been one if it weren't for Ross Barkley getting that last-minute winner for them yesterday. <laughs> you had to bring someone Everton-related into it, didn't you? Well, I'm ju- just saying it could have been one point. That's crazy. But yeah. I mean, Chelsea have had a really poor end to the season they when Spurs have just been off, firing on that all cylinders. Yeah. But I think they'll know going into next season that you know they've got to keep the foot on the gas all the way because Spurs will be breathing down the neck and looking to leapfrog them. So uh, yeah, let's get onto the Norwich game. Obviously. There were some concerns ahead of uh, kickoff following the news on Friday that Harry Kane was unwell, had not trained, uh, didn't turn up to a media event as a precaution. So there were question marks whether he would be involved in the starting lineup at Carrow Road. Conte in his pre-match press conference basically, basically said, yeah, he'll be starting. He, he won't be missing. And then three o'clock yesterday, we got the confirmation uh, that Kane was in the 11, which uh, was certainly good news. But I think everyone connected with Tottenham did expect him to start. And no, didn't show uh, any signs of suffering. Got his name on the score sheet. Good day all round. That's a good point. You know, I actually forgot about that. And everything I've written about the match, I kind of forgot that Kane was unwell, which says everything about kind of his performance, I guess. Yeah, I completely forgot. There's just 48 hours before. He was feeling rough. Yeah, it was a funny build-up to the game. Um, you know, Gary Lineker, who was one of my heroes as a kid, um, he slightly made things a little bit more awkward than they should have been with a tweet, which, you know, he did, he did in good faith. He, you know, he thought he had the right information, but he kind of came out talking about food poisoning in the camp, which obviously made... Everyone talk about lasagna gate, which ironically in itself was nothing to do with lasagna or food poisoning. Um, it was actually with one player with a neurovirus. Neurovirus? But yeah, it, it wasn't food poisoning. You know, Spurs had those cases over this, you know, what was it 10 days at least when you think back to Loris and Kulisewski. Yeah. You don't have food poisoning cases spreading um, every so often across 10 days. It's not really how food poisoning works. It would be, if you'll pardon the expression, especially Arsenal fans, all or nothing um, after a certain, you know, meal. Um, so, yeah, it was just this stomach virus that's worked its way around, which Conte explained to us was very much a 24-hour bug. Most players the day after were, were fine. And that seemed to be the case with Kane. He trained on the Saturday ahead of the game and like... Yeah, like I completely forgot he had it and then played the game and he played very well. You know, he could have had a fair few assists on the day, I think, as well. Had, um, you know, Sonny got into some... He was What I loved about that partnership was that Kane was desperate to get Sonny that goal and other players who we'll talk about later. But Kane kept trying to make it happen for him and just Tim Krull had one of those days that unfortunately he's had against Tottenham in the past. Well, that's what's ridiculous about it, is that Spurs scored five goals, but they actually had 13 shots on target. <laughs> Krul saved so many more. I think they had 19 shots in all. Um, and then somehow, yeah, somehow Sonny, Sonny could have ended up with about four or five goals on the day. Um, I'm still, you know, I will talk about Sonny later. I don't want to go too much into Sonny stuff yet, because I want to say loads of stuff about Sonny, because he was, I loved what happened to him yesterday. It was such an adventure. I think given all the pre-match nerves from some fans obviously 
the one thing what Tottenham can do to put people at ease is get that early goal. And that's what they did after 16 minutes. Rodrigo Bentenker at the heart of that. Bentenker actually started the game really, really well, just looking to get yeah. on the ball, get it, uh, get it forward. And then what you saw was a really good run from him. There was a gaping hole in the defence. Hybier picks him out. He's run through on goal. And having watched it back on the highlights, I can't understand why he's not had a shot from where he is because he is about 10 yards out maybe in a good position but instead he decides to pass it to Kulisevsky and it's not like Kulisevsky's just across from him Kulisevsky's actually a couple of yards behind him and with the player on him but yeah. it went in it went in the net so I mean you can't really complain can you no, to be honest I think he's, he's, he's just not a goal scorer is he so I think his first thought is to pass it rather than to shoot and yeah, there's loads of little different stages to that goal. It's like the first one is he plays it to Hoybier originally and then just sets off. And you look at the Norwich players, no one tracks him. And I think he's kind of thinking, I might as well just keep going because no one is coming with me. And then Hoybier, to be fair to him, played a perfect lofted ball. Then the next stage is you look at the touch that Benzenko takes as he takes it into his path. It is perfect. It doesn't have to break stride at all. It's a lovely touch. And then, yeah, like you say, doesn't look to shoot. But what I would say is he also then plays the perfect ball behind the defenders who are running back so that, um, yeah, Kulisevsky can just cut inside, cut back slightly and, and tap it into the net. And what I thought about Benzko, you were spot on about the way he started the game. And I think that comes from his experience. You know, when we're, talk, we're going to talk later about Spurs potentially signing, you know, some experienced players next season or in this summer. But... Kulisevsky, oh sorry, Kulisevsky, Bentoncourt, Kulisevsky to a degree, but mainly Bentoncourt, is an experienced player at just 24. That's the weird thing about it. This is a guy who's only 24 years old, but he's won three Serie A titles, two Argentinian Primera Division titles, I think two Coppa Italias as well. If there was anyone who was going to go into that match yesterday with no nerves, not worried about what was going to happen on the pitch, to have the composure necessary, it was Rodrigo Bentoncourt. And he was from the first minute. He was very much just like, give me the ball. Just give me the ball. I'll deal with it. And, and you get up the pitch. And he did. And, um, yeah, that's um, the break for the first goal. But also for the second goal, you know, the anticipation he showed. You know, because he didn't – this is the thing. I think many players might have cut out Krul's, um kick, but they maybe would have taken a touch or done something with it. Bentinger's first thought was, I can see – Harry's in the box, absolutely free. I'm going to get there and I'm going to cross this first time. And it was a perfect cross. So, I mean, not many players, certainly, you know, we've seen that maybe from the wings this season, are going to put in a best, a great cross with time on the ball. But to make it an interception first touch and deliver a cross like that, superb, Bentenker. Um And I mean, I know we're going to talk about Decky first, but I'd like to afterwards, if that's okay with you, just sum up the impact those two guys have had on this team. Because I know, and I know this for a fact, there are a fair few people down that road in the other end of North London that see that as the pivotal thing of what's happened this season. Spurs signing, and they didn't. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, January is always a key month in this in the season. Obviously, to bring in players if you require it, and Tottenham certainly did. And yeah, it was probably rather frustrating for a lot of Tottenham fans that got to what the thirty first of January, and then that's when the signings finally arrived. And some were perhaps turning the nose up at Kulisevsky, uh coming in, given there was talk of Luis Diaz coming from Porto. But Kulisewski has always been uh, a highly regarded player in Italy. Uh, did really well on loan at Parma. That's why Juve bought him. That's why Paratici bought him. Paratici knows all about him. And, yeah, and Conte wanted him at Inter. Yeah. And to be honest, <laughs> I didn't expect him to hit the ground running like he oh. does. It always takes yeah, foreign players a good couple of uh, months to settle and adapt to the pace and, you know, the intensity of the Premier League. But Kulisewski and Benteke just like ducked to water, really. Straight away, straight from the first couple of games uh, in the team, making a big impact. And, you know, they've been absolutely huge for Tottenham. And like you said, you talk about that experience, Benteke just bringing that in into the middle of the pitch, someone who's just calm and composed on the ball, knows what he's going to 
deal with it. He's not worried, don't get flustered or anything. I think that's been key in the middle of the pack. And Kulisewski's just added another dimension to the attack. Some might have had fears over, you know, how would he cope up against the Premier League defenders, but he's built really well and, you know, strong. He's not struggled one bit and contributed a number of goals and assists and one very good goal yesterday as well, what put Tottenham on the way uh, to getting there. So now they've been incredible and I know Arsenal probably will look back at January and thinking, why didn't we bring in a couple of players just to help strengthen? But they didn't and it's Tottenham who have Champions League football in the end. So here's a question for you. Was January 31st the day that Spurs secured fourth place? Or was it that night at Turf Moor? Uh, I would say it was Turf Moor. I think bringing in the players was very important. But on January the 31st, you don't know how they're going to settle into the team that quickly. It could be somewhere what takes a few months. Like Lucas Mora, when Lucas joined in 2018, that was like a signing for next season, really. I think Poch always thought January signings, it would take him time to settle in, then you would see the best of them the following season. For me, it was Turf Moor. I think that was just a massive turning point, especially with Conte's comments where he's questioning whether he's the right man for the job and you know, hinting that he could even possibly leave. I think the players are just taking that on board and you know, thinking, right, we've really got to kick it, kick on now, turn it on and you know, get these wins or else uh, someone else will be coming in to take charge next season. So in February, there was obviously that big win against Man City. What was key, as was the case in January and February, there were big wins and they did follow them with defeats. But yeah. Anyone that listens to our podcast knows. Yeah. <laughs> up, down, up, down. But no, uh, what happened at Turf Mar, I think, was key. Yeah, yeah I, I'd agree with you. I, I'd go... I'll probably sit on the fence and say I think both were big. I think certainly talking to anyone, some of the Arsenal reporters and, and any mates I've got that have got their Arsenal leanings, they feel that that was so crucial that Arsenal didn't recruit in that January window and Spurs picked out two, not even squad players, brought in two players that slotted straight into their first team in massively important areas. Because that's the thing, you weren't to really know at that point that obviously Skip was going to get a a bad injury and you know Benton Kerr coming in and missing what one match I think he missed one match after the ankle injury um it was after the happened. Burnley game wasn't it yeah was that, I think uh Brighton was it someone Leeds. Start was it Leeds, Leeds. yes yeah. uh yeah Leeds was a couple of days yeah. after Burnley yeah that's right yes yeah. So that's it. So he's come in and been able to despite a fair few big knocks as well he's been able to play every game Kulisevsky's pretty much started every game apart from two, I think, when he was ill and when the Leicester game as well. Um, obviously, when he first came in, he was on the bench against Brighton. But, you know, to have two starting players come in, and, you know, we said it at the time, um, me, me especially, that, you know, it did, it had the look of Paratici just going back to his old club on the last day and going, oh, help, we need players. But clearly... And hindsight has definitely proved this. More analysis than that was put into it because these two guys absolutely not only fit Tottenham, but they fit Conte to a T. And you could tell how excited Conte was. Excited is probably too much, but he um, he knew these were good signings from the off. He knew that they fitted exactly the demands he required of his players. Um, and they've been fantastic. Yeah, like you said, that second goal for Kulusevski. Oh, my goodness. And... It came just after the kind of the fumbled attempt at a pass to Sonny as well. So there may have been in the back of his mind, oh, I've got to look for Sonny and set him up properly this time. But he didn't. He just like, he had the confidence to cut in and just hit that beauty. And and I'd say the good thing about that goal as well was that it kind of did the job. It was job done then for Tottenham. And then, then they could all turn their attentions to trying to get Sonny up to that golden boot total. Yeah, I think for Kulisewski, when he'd gone round Krull, if he didn't look up, he would have scored. It was that split second where he looks yeah. up, sees Sonny across, and he's deciding to a square it now. And it's like his legs just go they, wrong they or something tangled, like that. Yeah, yeah. Pretty weird. 
Yeah, uh, I think if he kept his head down, he would have scored. I mean, it was great play. The ball, obviously, to release him, the play to get round him, just missing that final bit. But, yeah, uh, Norwich fans were giving him a bit of grief after that as well. They were chanting at Kulisewski after trying to square it. Yeah, Norwich fans were a bit funny, though, yesterday. And, you know, and fair play, you've got to give massive fair play to anyone who's had a season like they have and they still turn up in their numbers on the final day and they cheer and all that. But they were doing some things that I didn't really understand. Like, they were chanting at Spurs, who were three or four nil up at the time, Champions League, you're having a laugh. So, well, no, no, they, they are going into the Champions League. They're absolutely fine. Um, and then, obviously... They they got quite upset because, and I knew this was going to happen because I was speaking to a fair few of the play uh, the fans on the way up. They got annoyed when they realised there were very Spurs fans amongst the home support, um, especially when they started celebrating the goals. But then also they booed their own team as they did their walk around at the end. I mean, it may not have been the team; it may have been the owners. I don't know what who they were booing, but. Yeah, I don't know if Norwich fans being able to dish it out to Dijan Kulusevski was probably the, the strongest part of their day um, because he's class. And you know what? I was thinking about today, obviously Spurs need to kind of bring in, we're going to talk about it later, or the squad and bolster it and everything. I'd be stunned. In, and I know, you know, everyone will have these dream attackers that they want to bring in. I think you have Son Kane and Kulusevski up front next season. I think you've got one of the best attacking tridents in Europe. I honestly think they'll they'll continue to grow. You think about the amount of assists Kulusevski's had for Kane or Son, and especially in big moments, and they're always looking for each other's runs, and they're only what are they, four months in to knowing each other. They give them a preseason together. Next season, they're gonna. I I wonder if even Kulusevski might make it up to near the 15, 20 goal mark as well. I, I think you're gonna have three. I think we talk about you know we used to talk about. Uh, Salah, Firmino and Mane together and now obviously they've got Jota and Diaz which is just ridiculous when you think about the amount of quality they've got up there um, but I genuinely think that Spurs front three could be mentioned in the same breath which is something we haven't always had at Tottenham you know it's always been Son and Kane but I do think that that's going to be seen as a three going forward yeah, very much uh, agree with you uh, they've finished the season extremely well and you just think they'll just kick on and do exactly the same come August when the new season starts. Yeah, there needs to be new additions across the pitch. Maybe another attacker if like Stephen Bergwijn's gone to go. But I, I won't be splitting those three players up at all. Uh, I think they're fantastic. Built up, like you say, it's just this fantastic understanding in what, four months or so? I mean, it wasn't yeah. even four months, it was a matter of weeks when they were in the team together and he just clicked and since then they've just gone to a uh, new level so yeah when previously everyone was talking about Kane and Son being Tottenham's uh, two main men and the incredible partnership they've got there's three plays now Kulisevsky's right in there yeah yeah no it's very exciting it is exciting times so should we talk about the man that they were all trying to set up yesterday <laughs> Yeah, let's get on to Son then. Uh, yeah, obviously he'd gone into the game on 21 Premier League goals for the season, one behind Mohamed Salah. Ahead of the game, there were obviously question marks whether Salah would start because he picked up, I think it was a groin issue in the FA Cup final. Mm. Wasn't involved in the Liverpool squad in midweek at Southampton. Klopp did name him on the bench and then Son was probably uh, licking his lips thinking, right, Salah's on the bench. I could probably get a few goals here and and do it. And yeah, it was, to be honest, the first probably hour, 65 minutes, very frustrating for Son. Had some chances on goal, denied a number of times by Tim Krull, some really good saves. And Eric Dyer was speaking after the game and he even mentioned he could see Son was getting frustrated because he wasn't getting on the score sheet and missing those chances. But after missing one where Krull saved, I think it was about 30 seconds later, he's put from through one goal and he was just making no mistake that time. And then his second one, wow, what a finish. Killed it in from outside of the box into the corner. And the celebrations were brilliant for both. Just ran across. I think it was for his second one when there was a huddle. I think it was Lucas Mora who held him aloft. Well, I, I can the, tell you exactly what happened because I watched that one back. And it's really funny. So he runs to Ben Davies. Obviously, he's, I think he's probably his best mate, isn't he, at Spurs? 
Ben Davies holds him in the air, but he's kind of running backwards with him. And I think Ben Davies realizes, I'm going to have to kind of chuck him on the floor. Otherwise, we're just going to fall over and probably injure ourselves. So he kind of turns, lobs him on the floor. Everyone bundles him pretty much. And then as they're coming up, Lucas just decides he's going to hold him aloft kind of thing. And it's just lovely. It was in front of the Spurs fans, who were brilliant, by the way. Spurs fans did not shut up all day. They were so noisy. Um, and it was just it was just what everyone had been waiting for. It was fantastic. Yeah, it was. And obviously, we found out ahead of the game. So we're unsure whether there'd be an award waiting for him, mm. given Salah was one ahead, and whether that main award would be at Anfield or there'd be another one at Carrow Road. And there was one waiting for him at Carrow Road, what he got after the game. So it was great to see it. I think you'd gone in to the press conference at that point. I was still outside uh, in the press seats. And what happened, I think it was just gone six o'clock. Son walked out to collect his award and there was still a group of uh, fans just above the tunnel congregated there. And they gave him a round of applause and uh, cheering him. And I think he was certainly touched by that moment as he, you know, applauded them, waved over. And then there was a smattering of Tottenham fans left in the way and not a lot because a lot had already uh, left and they were singing uh, Son's chant and giving him a round of applause as well. So whilst there weren't a lot of fans in the stadium, it was a nice moment. I think one that certainly uh, he appreciated. Yeah. And there was actually, there was another kind of little moment with the fans, which in the end didn't end up being vital because obviously we know he shared the golden boot, but when the Spurs fans learned that Salah had scored, and it was a really scruffy goal, which I didn't, I didn't see until late last night. When they learned that Salah had scored, they all started singing Sonny's uh, song, which if anyone's not aware, it's, you know, nice one, Sonny, nice one, son. Nice one, Sonny, let's get another one. As if to tell him, you might need another one, because if Salah gets another one, you know, we're, we're, you're in a bit of uh, trouble with it. Um, I just thought that was really nice, just this collective thousands of people trying to warn him that he needs to score another goal. Um, in itself for the old Cyril Knowles job, but it, it was brilliant. And you saw Sonny's face. Look, I know he's been very clear that he doesn't, you know, he's not into individual awards, although he did admit afterwards, I've always dreamt of winning this. So clearly, I like the fact that we always see Sonny as this really humble, modest person, and he is. But they're also, you don't get to where he's got in his career by not having that personal drive as well. And that, that's an important thing, especially with attacking players as well. Um, and like we said earlier, I just love the fact that from a certain point on, and, and I'd actually say earlier, despite the fact that Conte didn't really want it to happen, I think everyone was looking to set him up. And I think, if I remember, I listened to his interview quite late last night that Spurs did with him. He was kind of indicating that Lucas and Bergwijn had both come on and told him, we're going to set you up for goals. They'd actually said that when they came on the pitch. And it was Lucas in the end that did the first one. Because like you say, he'd had he'd had the big chance when Kane had put him through one-on-one and Krul denied him then. He'd had, um, yeah, the one right, almost right on the goal line, which Krul saved. And then you just saw Sonny sink into the net. He was just so frustrated at that point. He'd had a moment in the first half where the ball had come to him and he kind of ended up trying to do a volley rather than just taking the ball down. And he had much more time and he ended up making a bit of a mess of it. But then funnily enough, and I think he said this as well in his interview, his more difficult chances, he put away with nothing. And I think this is, funny enough, this is something that I've probably have said about Sonny in the past. When Sonny has that little extra minute, sometimes he almost psychs himself out of a chance. Um, whereas when he doesn't have any time and it's technically really difficult to score a goal, you'd actually back him to score them more of the time because he's such a good player. And that first one, yeah, it's lovely touch by Lucas and, and like his span as he did it. And then Sonny just drilled it bottom corner. And then that finish, what a way to win your golden boot. That ended up being the goal that secured his golden boot. It was fantastic. And um, we can only keep going back to the fact, no penalties. No penalties. And that's very rare. I think we looked it up and it's maybe only Luis Suarez and someone else. There was another player we looked up before kickoff that's done that. It's it's a very rare thing to happen. I think it might have even been Mane. I think Mane and Salah shared it one year uh, with someone else. Was it maybe Aubameyang? And I think Mane that year obviously wasn't getting the penalties. So to do that, 23 goals without a single penalty... It is superb. And what I love about it all is that 
I've always felt with Sonny that he's, I don't know, he's maybe just seen as part of a double act with Kane. And sometimes he's overshadowed a bit by Kane and, and his goals. Because, you know, we know Kane's a fantastic goal scorer. And obviously last year he got the, the Golden Boot and the Playmaker Award, which actually I think Salah did this year, didn't he? I think he ended up with both as well. Um, and I think sometimes Kane's efforts, yeah, they just disguise how, let's be honest, brilliant Son is. And I just love the fact that this season, everyone's been able to see what we all knew about Son and just how good he is. And it doesn't have to be the Kane and Son show. It doesn't have to be about other players. Son in his own right is up there now, I think, with some of the best players in the world. And I think for him now, he can actually still get better, which is should frighten defences everywhere. Because what is he, 29 now? 28, 29. 29, 29. Didn't, yeah. And I'd even say I don't think he's reached his peak yet. I think he's getting there, but I still think he can get better. His consistency is really, really hitting new heights. I think that's his key thing in, you know, coming out with assists. What is it? I think it's in all competitions, 24 goals and 10 assists. That's the funny thing is actually pretty much everything's been in the Premier League for him. It's, I don't know whether that's because maybe he's been rotated slightly more in the other competitions, perhaps. So he hasn't had as many minutes. That may be the case. But yeah, I think he can still get better. And that's, that's brilliant for him and Tottenham. It, it's, it's exciting to see where he goes next. Yeah, With brilliant. Tottenham, yeah. I should stay. <laughs> brilliant to see him get the award. And I think what makes it even more special is a few months ago, it looked like Salah was running away with the award. I think he probably got about four or five goals in the last couple of months. Son, on the other hand, 12 goals in 10 games. Mm. Incredible, really. And you know, games what Spurs had to go out and win because 10 games ago, it didn't look like they were going to get a top four finish. So now he's uh, fully deserving of uh, the award. It's been a brilliant season. Kane won the award 12 months ago. You wouldn't rule another uh, the award being back at Tottenham in 12 months' time. Yeah. Can Kane I just say, I'll ask you the question. How is Son not in the PFA nominations for Player of the Year? Who knows? <laughs> I don't know. I can't work it out. Army. I mean, I saw Eric Dyer's tweet. He's like, 23 goals, no pens. And he just had a gif of Jim Carrey essentially turning a pe- like two glasses into a pair of binoculars. Because it is, it's like... It's just absurd. I just don't get it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, when did that take place? When was the voting take place for that? When did they come up with the nominees? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that plays a part. But like, you look at some of the numbers of those players who have been nominated, who are all very good players in their own right. And they've had good seasons. But they like some dwarf some of their numbers. It's just crazy. Yeah, yeah. Uh... It is rather, rather strange. Uh, we'll move on now. Anyway, oh, before we do, I think looking at the goal scoring charts yesterday, I think Kane finished with 17 in the Premier League. Then that's quite impressive as well from Kane, given how yeah. poor he was in the first couple of well, months. I've got a little won. stat for you, a little stat to back up exactly what you're saying. So Kane went from get another John Veal stat, Stato Veal, as we call him. He went from scoring once in his first 13 matches to scoring 16 in his last 24. Is that is that the Conte effect? 100%. Not yeah. playing Nuno ball anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, go back to what, the end of October? Spurs weren't even having shots on goal, were they? No. Like the West Ham and the Man United games. Yeah, it was chalk and cheese there. Yeah, I think next season, both of them, Going to be in amongst the goals, and as you said, Kulisevsky as well. So, hopefully, bright times ahead. Uh, before we get on to anything else, obviously, in the past few podcasts, you've learned that we have a new sponsor, NordVPN. So, Alice, there, do you want to explain what a VPN is once again? Of course, of course. For anyone that doesn't know, a VPN, it stands for a virtual private network. And I mean, the main aspect of it is is to protect you online and everything you do, and it, it stops people being able to, well, essentially work their way back from the other direction and, and look at and, and take whatever details you might have on your computer. Unfortunately, the way the world works now, you know, the, these people that essentially can, I suppose it's like a, a cyber version of mugging and things like that nowadays, they've, they've, they're more and more... Um, 
kind of, uh, how, do I, how do I put it, more and more intelligent ways that they find of doing this and you've got to protect yourself. And this is exactly what a VPN does, but it also has kind of bonuses on the side in that you can uh, you can obviously access stuff yourself that might be from other countries that you'd like to access, whether that's, I don't know, TV streaming, football streaming. And this is going to sound like a setup thing I'm saying, and it's not. I genuinely was at my neighbor's house the other night we were um, having a very nice Mexican meal around there that they put on for us. And uh, they were talking about going to, um, they're going on holiday for a while somewhere. Turkey. Turkey. That was it, Turkey. Turkey. Yeah, I did too. Turkey. And um, they wanted to be able to watch like their Sky TV that they normally had. And they were talking about, oh, we've heard about this thing called a VPN. And that's exactly, I was able to come in. I sound like a salesman. I sound like I worked for NordVPN. I was like, well, actually, yes, with a with a VPN, what you can do is you can set your country as if you are, you know, you can you you can make your phone or whatever believe that you are in the UK because you can use a a UK uh, network and you could be in Turkey, but just accessing everything you normally would because obviously Sky doesn't work when you're abroad and stuff like that. And it's yeah, it's all very clever. It's a very clever system. It allows you to use public Wi-Fi safely without worrying about people. Nicking your bank details that you might have on your phone and stuff like that. Honestly, have a little kind of look up exactly what NordVPN is. It's it's a very clever, cool product, and and I have used it myself before. As, as anyone that's listened to this before, I've used it myself on preseason tours. It's very helpful. Right, let's get back on to Tottenham. I know we've talked about some of the celebrations after Son's goal. I think. We'll touch on the post-match celebrations now. I think what was nice to see after the game is when obviously all the players went over to the away end. There was really, really loud chants of uh, Antonio from the Tottenham fans. Antonio went over and he was just basically quick to point out his Tottenham team. He was signalling obviously the part they played in, what was uh, really good to see. Yeah, yeah. He was very much... um... <laughs> he's a funny character is um is Conte in that sometimes when his comments afterwards he'll he does make it about himself he does he can like he was talking a lot about my one of my greatest achievements the things like that after game but actually in practice he does like to put the you know the praise elsewhere and when it comes to like I say on that pitch he was very much pointing to his players um and there was a funny Lucas celebration. I'm not sure whether it came after the game or it came after one of the goals. Uh, if anyone was in that travelling kind of faithful, they can tell me. But um, Lucas, as he has done before, leapt upon the shoulders of a steward. And I actually know the steward this time. It was Stephen Barley, because I see him everywhere. He's such a hardworking guy. He's one of the Spurs travelling stewards who he goes abroad. We see him off on European tours. He's like... Uh, you know, a guy that probably all the travelling Spurs fans will know. And what I loved about it, Lucas leapt. We know what a leap Lucas has got, but he leapt onto Steve's uh, Stephen's shoulders. Stephen, fair play to him, caught him on his shoulders, turned it into this brilliant kind of. He looked like a guy walking his uh, one of his kids around on his shoulders. Um, yeah, because you can imagine dropping Lucas, that'd be rubbish. And I mean, I saw Emerson jumped on the guy next to him. I don't know how successful that was because the video cut out. Um, so yeah, it was just the just the, um, the the togetherness of this squad. It feels like the old Tottenham. It feels like the Tottenham we had. You know, I'm kind of loath to keep harkening back to the Pocho, Pochettino era because I feel like we're now in a new era and I think we are actually Conte's building something of his own and I, I think you can see that out there and the, even afterwards the the group photos that came out on the um we saw that we saw Sonny doing his speech in the changing room it looked like the photographer had access to the changing room as well afterwards so we got shots of Conte making his address to the team afterwards and and they just all look so together there's no clicks and you know, this isn't, I'm not saying that those players who left in January were responsible for anything. I'm not saying that they were bad seeds or anything far from it. But what I do think that happened was, you know, they clear, they took out four players from that first team squad. They brought in two and whatever happened, the dynamic did change. It did. Maybe it was just removing, I think we said at the time, it was probably removing unhappy players from the changing room. Ones who, um, 
you know, were involved in friendship groups, but because they weren't playing, maybe, yeah, maybe just subconsciously or naturally, they're not going to be as, as into the Conte way as others might be. Whereas you've seen, I think, in recent weeks, the flip side is when you've got a whole group that is following that same path and is desperate to please the boss. We've seen Davinson Sanchez is a brilliant example. Comes in for three matches for Romero. He's been superb. He's been so good. Three clean sheets. You know, he's come in and more than played his part. Um, even little moments like Joe Roden coming in, uh, came off the bench in um, the Burnley and Arsenal games, played his part, won big headers, even in those last few moments. Um, you know, we've seen before his injury, Matt Doherty come into the team and be a huge, make a huge impact. Ryan Sessegnon's come into the team and made a huge impact. There's like, there's so many players you could run through the team, really, of just all these players that have felt part of things, even though they're not. And that's testament to the way Conte's managed it and the staff have managed it. There's so much praise I keep hearing behind the scenes for his staff. And obviously, we know the Conte praise is there. We don't even have to really say that. I mean, you can only see the see the quotes from every single player on how much Conte has changed their season. But also, you know, fair play to their, their staff. You know, Christian Stellini you've got there as well. And and even down to like Gianluca, his brother, who's, who's one of the... Um, the analysts, and you've got Ryan Mason, Constantino um, Carati, and the fitness coach, Jim Pietro Vantroni as well, and the goalkeeper's coach, who's gone completely out of my head, really annoyingly. Um, can you remember his name? I don't know why. No. I've got all the coaches in his name. But but he's getting praised as well. This is why I'm annoyed that I can't remember his name, because I, I, I know Lloris has praised him as well in the past. But yeah, so huge props to them and the way they've stitched together a, a changing room back together again from the mess it was and uh yeah yeah it's just uh it's kind of seeing where it goes next so just really excited yeah i know some people probably will have seen the post-match celebrations with son speech galini soaks him straight after with his uh bottle of water <laughs> on one video uh champions league music playing in the background as well so no it was really good to see <coughs> Sounds like they should have soaked you as well, shouldn't they? <laughs> yeah, I know. Shut open your mouth with that dry throat. Rob Guest, uh, you know, um, suffer, suffering <coughs> pre-podcast. Um, and he's, you know, he, he's come out today. He's still putting a shift in. You know, he's he's not worried about the issues he's facing. He's come out and, uh, you know, he's... <coughs> so <is> he. <laughs> He has a complete right. inability to cough away properly from the microphone, but that's fine. That's fine. Apologies to anyone that gets to hear Rob Guest spluttering, <laughs> which continues. Uh, but that is, a, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd like to think it's probably all the blue flares that he's been around <laughs> in recent games that are still probably in his lungs. Uh, when was the, uh, where, what was it, Thursday night? Was Thursday, it, yeah. Were, uh, enjoying Everton remaining up. I'm wondering whether it's all the... Uh, I should point out that Rob Guest did say that he looked a bit like a Smurf after that match uh, because of the amount of blue that came off of those blue flares. Um, that, that was the previous Sunday where my face was blue and I had to wash uh, <laughs> my face in the toilets in the Gladys Street and before the game. Uh, but you, said you, you said you've had this cough for about a week. Ties in nicely then. Yeah. Yeah, it does. No, First but person no. to ever come down with flare poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, yeah, it was great few Why days. Why flares become a thing? Can I just go and just ask that question? Very off topic. Although there was one in the Spurs crowd yesterday. Why in the last two weeks flares have suddenly become a thing? I've, I've no idea. I thought there'd have been loads yesterday in the Spurs end. There's given... a blue one that went off in the I thought I thought you'd lobbed in one from Everton. <laughs> No, no. But there was a rumour doing the rounds yesterday that some Everton fan had sold a load of blue flares to Liverpool fans at Anfield with Liverpool stickers around them. So they were thinking the red flares. I don't know if that actually happened, but yeah, there's been loads recently. A that number of games. And whacking players for some unknown, bizarre reason. Yeah. Let's get back onto Tottenham anyway. <laughs> uh, Away from pitch invasions. <laughs> 
post-match, Antonio Conte, you were in his uh, press conference. Yes. His future as ever has dominated talk over the past few months, unsurprisingly. Again, I asked about it, but non-committal once again. He did basically say, as he has done in the past, at the end of the season, he will meet with Daniel Levy and Fabio Paratici and discuss things. Did make it clear it'd be four or five days, think it's going to have a bit of a rest, take stock, and then once everyone's cleared their minds, then they'll have a discussion right then. Do you want to just go into a bit more depth into what he said? Yeah, I'd say the only thing that was a little bit different about yesterday's press conference, and he doesn't always volunteer this information because it's something that I feel that I have to keep mentioning in things I write, is that he actually said, well, I do have another year left on my contract. You know, and that's something that maybe he's steered clear of. Like, there's always been this thing, I'll just walk away. It's like, well, if you're going to, you know, you're going to walk away, but the fact is you have a contract. You signed a contract until the end of, of next season, and there is an option if both parties agree for that to be extended by another year. So, yeah, I, I think the fact that he mentioned that was something a little bit new, which isn't... He has mentioned it before, but kind of not in direct answer to that question. So for that to be mentioned, I think, was uh, was quite important. But other than that, yes, it was very much looking away, look, look into this post-season meeting. I mean, what happens now for, for Conte and anyone that might not be aware? So he's headed off, I think, today back to Italy to go and spend some time with um, his wife, Elisabetta, and his daughter, Vittoria. Um, which is very well earned, of course. Um, obviously, if anyone doesn't know, his daughter is still in school in Italy. That's why his wife and daughter are still over there. Um, so he will spend, I think, he kind of said himself, three, four, five days or so decompressing. Um, he wants to come into that meeting with uh, Fabio Paratici and Daniel Levy without any emotion. Because, you know, let's be honest, they were all so emotional. Had he gone into that meeting straight at the end of that match, then he'd be going, I'll stay forever. That's kind of how you are, especially with Conte, who is an emotional man. And he wants to go into it, you know, being fully kind of clear in his mind, I guess is the way to put it. Um, but you know what? I'd say I'm more confident about that end of season meeting than I would have been, let's say, two months ago, I'd say. Because... You know, if anyone hasn't seen the articles that I put out last night and also today, Spurs are going to back him. Spurs are going to finally, you might say, well, I say finally, because I think they did spend money in the summer of 2019, albeit in hindsight badly. Um, but they are going to put their money where their mouth is. And look, you know, you're in the mix zone with, with Eric Dyer and Hugo Lloris, and, and I've seen the quotes that you guys got from them. Eric Dyer said it best. I mean, I'll just maybe read out a couple of these quotes because I think they're so key. I th This is Eric Dyer. I think the club needs to take advantage of this moment, take advantage of this team and this manager. It's in the club's hands now. We've done our job and now it's the club's job this summer to do the best they can. Says it all. You know, that, that is literally like, you might as well hold a neon sign saying, come on, Daniel, it's your turn. And then I think Laurie said something similar-ish. Um, he said, um, I believe now we need to use this feeling, we need to use this moment to come back, to come to become bigger and stronger and come back next season with more ambition. I believe he, as in Conte, knows exactly what he wants and needs. I believe there is huge confidence. It's just about making decisions together now. Um, I'm a player. We're going to switch off from the club. We still have international duties, but now it belongs to the main protagonist to make the right decisions to prepare for next season as well as we can. And then we'll come back with desire and ambition. Ambition. That's that word. And it is the key word that is going to dominate things. And like I say, from everything I've heard from various people within Tottenham, they are going to back Antonio Conte this summer. And that's all he wants. It is. He wants to... You know, we know he's a demanding guy. We know he's an emotional guy. We know he needs to feel loved. We know he has walked away from clubs that, with no disrespect to Tottenham, are bigger than Tottenham and have a more recent, his rich history of winning things. He has walked away. He walked away six, I think it was, it was between three and six weeks into pre-season at Juventus after they just won the title. He walked away from Inter Milan after they just won a title. 
this man, if he doesn't feel he's getting back, will just walk out the door, which is, I think, what has created this kind of unease. But there is a growing feeling within Spurs that, you know, Conte will be the manager next season and they are going to back him. They're going to change their transfer policy um, in terms of if there's a more experienced player who can help Tottenham right now, they are going to go for them. And you know what I think will also play a part? As well as spending the money, which I think they are, and I'll explain why that money should hopefully be there this time in a minute. But I also think Paratici, one of his key strengths is also is bringing in free transfers. And I know that's not doesn't sound sexy and it's not what people are thinking about. But also, when you've got to build a huge squad next season, the reason I say huge is because Spurs have got to play in the Champions League now. That is not a competition where people can go, oh, I'm going to shift, I'm going to change my entire 11. It's not the Conference League. You can't do that. You've got to have uh, I'd say five or six players playing, at least the same players who you play in your strongest Premier League team, maybe the whole 11. Um, and you've got to have a similar quality on your bench. I know from people around Conte that he has looked at his bench at times this season and gone, no, you're right, and had to look back at the pitch because there isn't the required quality to bring onto the pitch. I mean, and this is no disrespect to those younger players who hopefully will be big players in the future. But Tottenham Hotspur, with four or five injuries, should not have to put four academy players on their bench. That shouldn't be, you know, they should have a big enough squad to deal with a few injuries like that. Um, and it is, it's going to be huge. And obviously the five substitute rule that comes in next season, where they're going to, the big clubs are going to take advantage of that because they, as Conte says, can change half their team during a match if the match isn't going their way. And if they're able to bring on five players who are of the similar quality to the players on the pitch, Tottenham need to be able to do the same. That's that's it. Essentially, you know, Daniel Levy isn't someone who likes to be or will ever probably be held to ransom. But if anything, circumstances have meant he will be this summer. He has to spend the money. And the reason I say about um, the money will be there is because Spurs have finally spent a full season in their stadium, their game-changing stadium. And you cannot underestimate the amount of revenue that that ground is turning over and i know people don't want to the, the ones you know who only want to hear about football they don't want to hear about nfl matches lady gaga concerts guns and roses concerts rugby games uh anthony anthony joshua fights corporate events whatever every single one of those pumps millions into the football club to be able to be used in the summer and stuff like that that stadium was always called the game changer but it had to be used. And the pandemic robbed Spurs of that opportunity to do that. Now, finally, you know, I know it's only been a year, but what it does do is now you've got stability because the pandemic also gave that issue of there was no financial stability. You didn't know when it was going to end. You didn't know when revenue streams were going to come back. So now Spurs have had this year and they know they can look forward to not only that, but also Champions League revenue streams coming in as well. And hopefully... One day, those stadium naming rights, <laughs> if they ever get sorted out, um, Spurs can look for and they can plan. They wrapped up a lot of, well, actually all of their pandemic losses into a £250 million um, long-term, I think I can't remember the exact expression they used. It was something like investment financial institute. I can't remember the exact expression. I might have it here somewhere. But they wrapped it all up in this long-term thing that is 20 years before they have to do anything. Um, I think I've actually got it right here so I can say that. It is Institutional Fund. That was the name of it. They wrapped it up in that last summer. So financially, everything is back on a stable footing and they have got big revenue coming in over the years to come. So now is the time to speculate, to accumulate because they know that money is coming in. And look, we've got to also talk about the money that has to go out. Um there is obviously Christian Romero and Dejan Kulusevsky's permanent fees need to be paid. That'll be roughly around 70 million. But what I would say, that won't be 70 million up front right now. It's not. Even alone with the Kulusevsky, I know that that's over, I think it's five years they might have to pay that. Um, I've got, yes, five financial years in which to pay off that permanent fee. So that is spread out. Sergio Regulon is another one. Sergio Regulon's deal is a, is a strange one. In essence, it's as close to having a two-year loan with an obligation to buy as you can get, but it's not. It's not quite a loan. It is a permanent transfer, but Spurs have to pay the fee for him this summer, two years on. 
So my guess is that with him not being first choice, clearly Sess is the one that Conte sees the long-term potential in. I wouldn't be stunned if Reguilon leaves this summer because Spurs want to make sure that they're not spending the fee on him. Or if they do, it is quickly coming back in and maybe going on another left back that maybe Conte or wing back that Conte sees more of a long-term future. That's, you know, from what I understand, I don't think Reguilon wants to leave. But, you know, if you're not going to be the first choice, then that's a whole different thing maybe. Um, but yeah, financially, the money will be there. They've just got to, they've just got to use it wisely. You know, Parasic, she's been doing a big overhaul of the club, the scouting department. And I think we'll see that really hopefully come to the fore this summer. They're going to have a lot of competition. You know, you know uh, Man United are going to have to make up for their disaster of a season. Newcastle are going to be the new boys in town with all their billions to spend. Uh, City and Liverpool. You know, City bringing in Haaland. City have just won the, the league and they're bringing in Haaland, which is just ridiculous. Liverpool are going to strengthen because they won't want to be the, the bridesmaids next season. Chelsea will have their new owners. They will want to sort out and make up for the players that they're losing this summer. Um, Arsenal will clearly have to spend... Um, they've got their Amazon all or nothing money they'll have, which, by the way, is going to have, the, <laughs> is going to have a better ending for Spurs fans than the Spurs one did which is going to be really weird. Um, but yeah, it's it's all pointing towards this big summer. I think we just need, I mean, whatever it will be, five, five six days, maybe a week, we'll get this Conte meeting uh, and then we'll, we'll swiftly find out kind of how it went. I'm sure there'll be more little lines and stories out there of doubts over Conte's future because I think... Conte will maybe want that. He'll maybe want those little bits of doubt to keep pushing Spurs to keep getting those transfers in. Um, but ultimately, I think we'll see a different, I think and I hope, we'll see a different transfer window because they need to get players in for his pre-season because then that is crucial. They need to at least have got some in. But I think, I think we're going to see an overhaul. I think we will. If you think about the number of players likely to go out that door, and the, you've got to replace them and build a bigger squad. I think it all lends itself to you and me, Mr. Guest, having a very, very busy summer, which is great. Yeah, and I think that's what all the fans want. That's what fans have wanted uh, for a, a number of years. And, you know, Conte in his post-match press conference yesterday alluded to the five-substitution rule from next season a couple of times. And as, as you've said, he knows... On his bench, he doesn't have a lot of options. So, yeah, there's got to be a number of uh, players uh, coming in through the door and then a number as well leaving. So, yeah, we saw part of a rebuild last year from Paratici, but I think there's going to be an awful lot done uh, this year. And Spurs made big strides on the Conte, bringing some more players what he wants, better quality players, early points to uh, a bright future. So, yeah down to Daniel leaving the club now to give him exactly what he wants. That's huge. Honestly, it's, it's, there's pressure on. There is. We've said this before. You know, they make a, a mess of this. They're just chucking away such a brilliant opportunity. You've got one of the best managers in the world. Um, yeah, as, as Eric Dyer says, take advantage of him. Absolutely take advantage of Antonio Conte because, you know, you could argue with Spurs where they were, and I'm sure Conte will say this, did they really deserve an Antonio Conte? You know, they were very lucky in that. And bringing in a, a Rolls-Royce of a manager to come into a situation that needed someone that's probably used to dealing with a far more kind of different, difficult scenario. And um, yeah, now take advantage of it. Oh, well, I'm looking forward to it. No, it's, uh, it's going to be a good summer. At least Spurs have... Ended the season on a high with uh, Champions League after two seasons away uh, from Europe's top competition. Right, I think we'll leave that there for today's latest episode of Golden Guest Talk. Tottenham will be back next week to discuss something. There's always plenty to discuss in the world of Tottenham, isn't there? <laughs> so even though the season's ended, it's still going to be plenty to discuss. So as ever, just keep... Q&As. I was going to say, we might do some little Q&As yeah. on here if people want to kind of have us answer questions on air, we can certainly do that as well. Yeah, so if you have any questions, then just tweet either one of us and then we'll save them for one of the upcoming podcast episodes. So, right, 
We'll leave that there for today's episode. As ever, just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus free threat protection plus one additional month for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee.